Save the date for the 12th of September. Join our webinar on digital transformation in manufacturing. We are exploring how IoT, AI and smart factories are reshaping our sector. Hear from industry leaders like Airbus, Rolls-Royce and Heriot Watt University. This is a must attend for professionals and decision makers in manufacturing. So register now at resources.red-fern.co.uk slash webinar. That's resources.red-fern.co.uk slash webinar. The link is also in the description. What a fascinating conversation I had with John Wright, the Managing Director of Brisbane Moss. I just learned so much about the textile industry from this conversation. We talk about how fashion tastes of consumers are changing to be more, I guess, sustainable with a focus on quality as opposed to the fast fashion and disposable models made famous by Primark, Boohoo and Topshop, for example. It was just a really interesting conversation. You know, we talked about everything from how social media and technology has resulted in an explosion of young designers who are setting up their own fashion labels to cater to unique alternative tastes, which is really good for business because they service all ends of the market. Aside from their heritage, being a company that's been around for 140 years, we discuss what makes them unique and why brands like Prada, Gucci, Ralph Lauren, and others source from them. They are also a business that moves with the times, and John explains in a lot of detail how they use social media and technology to reach new markets and service new customers. I think you're going to really enjoy the conversation. From Redfern Media, this is Remake Manufacturing. My guest this week is John Wright, an experienced managing director of Brisbane Moss. He is a senior leader within the textiles industry and is skilled in the management and leadership of trends and analysis within the textile and fashion industry. John Wright, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure, Nathan. It's nice to meet you. Good to meet you as well. Thank you very much for doing this. So just a little bit of background to give everyone some context. After leaving school at 16, you spent a lot of time on the sports field. You did some work in printing. And then at 22 years old, you got a job selling cloth. Tell us how you got your start in the world of cloth and apparel. Well, it wasn't planned. Um, at school, I went to a basic comprehensive school uh, in Manchester. And we were offered at the end of the uh, my final year, some career advice. And one of the things they pushed the sort of um, boys of my academic qualifications to was an apprenticeship, something that really should be brought back now. My father had a great work ethic and he installed into myself uh, from a very early age that you had to work hard to achieve anything. And uh, thankfully, I was offered uh, an apprenticeship with a printing company in Manchester. Hmm. So... During this uh, time, uh, which was a four-year apprenticeship, you had to work for four days a week in, uh, in actually the printing practice. Uh, you did every job from cleaning up, making teas, delivering goods, every, everything really, give you a mm. fully um, rounded aspect of, of what work was. 
And one day a week, you went to technical college to learn theory, techniques, new technology. And one of those skills that I learned was uh, screen printing. Hmm. So screen printing is part of uh, the textile or uh, one of the the components in textiles. And uh, I finished uh, my apprenticeship at 20. And one of my sort of my, uh, I'd learned to screen print. And one of the things I wanted to do was set my own t-shirt printing business up, which at the time was probably too far ahead of its time. And uh, I didn't have the the right experience. But through a friend, I was offered a position in a company in London who needed someone who had technical skills for printing and maybe um, a sales um, leaning and I went to work for this company in London at the age of 20. Uh, literally, um, I built uh, a range of fabrics and prints, which at the time, that was one of the, uh, what they specialized in. It was a product called uh, sublimation, which uh, is the, when you actually heat printed paper onto a fabric and put it through a machine at 200 degrees, the uh, out, outside the, the other end comes printed fabric. Mm. And, and really, that's how it all started for me. Really interesting. And then, and then you tell a really interesting story about when, when you were actually in London. I think it was your first day or second day on the job. You were looking for, you know, how am I going to sell, find new clients? And it just so happened that you bumped into someone that you knew in Manchester who just so happened to be selling buying cloth. Yeah. Tell us that story. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, and that's a great uh, understanding of, you know, it's, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And uh, it, it was true. I, I was in the centre of London. I'd just started. I'd, I had a bag of uh, fabrics, uh, a bag of samples, which I was touting out in the centre of London. Uh, at the time, then, London, the centre of London, around Great Margaret Street, East Castle Street, Mortimer Street, was, was the, the whole textile industry um that's actually changed now and gone into a more media uh, industry around those areas but i was parked on mortimer street and uh, was rooting around the back of my car going to see the next client and walking down the road was a girl uh, who i knew from nightclubs in manchester she was at the time when uh, in the nightclub she was the coat room attendant and I used to go in the clubs with the friends. It was a club called Placemate 7 in Manchester. And we'd not seen each other for years. And she saw me in the street and she was with uh, another lady. And uh, she said, you know, great to see you. What have you been doing? Uh, we had a catch up and uh, she said, what are you doing here? So I said, I'm selling fabric. I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm buying fabric. <laughs> so um, I said, who for? And she said, uh, Great Universal, which at the time was probably the largest retailer of uh, fashion wear. Um, this is before the high street uh, had so much domination. And she said to me, come in and see me tomorrow. Mm. Uh, I did. She was unavailable. And uh, as you do, you thought this was just a, uh, a missed opportunity or a wind up. And uh, her assistant came down, the, the girl I was, uh, I'd met the other day with her. And she said, Michelle can't be with you. Uh, can you come back on Monday? And I came back on Monday. We went into a meeting. 
she opened the door to uh, what was then many opportunities and uh, it was very, that was another story there but it was a strange thing that happened and uh, sometimes in life people need breaks and uh, that time I got the break and, and that was a big break it was and uh, we continued uh, the relationship I, we, probably the business went on for maybe four years she was absolutely an angel a uh, fantastic girl and uh, the, the business changed and uh, I then started my own business after four years with the company I was with in London and uh, we continued business then for, for a further uh, four or five years. Mm. So yeah, it's strange how we, you know, you always be good to people on the way um, up because um, you'll meet them at some stage. And uh, this was this girl uh, in the nicest way looked after me and uh, benefited uh, my career. Great story. Great story. Thanks for sharing that. So, so tell us a little bit more about Brisbane Moss for those that don't know. I mean, I understand you've been around for 140 years. You're essentially a manufacturer of really top quality cloth, but tell us a little bit more. Yeah, actually, it was uh, 1858. The, the history of the company can be sort of traced back to 1858. Wow. Um, Brisbane Moss is regarded as the world's leading producer of corduroy and moleskin. As a company, we carry 40, 50 ranges of corduroy, moleskin, flat cottons, linen and velvet. And in each range, there are about anywhere between six to 30 color options. So if you put that all together, we carry about 900 SKUs uh, or options in the range. And, and these all have to be stocked uh, in our warehouse in Todmorden, which is in the uh, beautiful Calder Valley, uh, for immediate dispatch or, or, or immediate offerings to uh, customers. We uh, that's one of the, the problems that we have. We are a stock service business catering to uh, the world. Uh, we export all over the world, everywhere from Japan, America, Middle East now. Uh, and there's so many emerging markets that are coming through. And it's predominantly men's fashion and country apparel. Um, but there are theatre and film costumes that uh, we supply. And then there's the growing market of furnishing, which is, uh, is, is proving very popular. It's, it's a challenge to keep everything running smoothly is, is probably the greatest challenge. You, um, you don't hear of many British manufacturers exporting abroad. I, and I also imagine that um, over a 140-year career, the company has had to change a lot over that period of time to stay relevant and, and maintain its position and, and a business. Talk about at a high level how the business has changed over the last, I don't want to say 140 years, but let's say the last, you know, 50 or 60 years. And how is it that you're remaining relevant today in a market that's changing so quickly? Well, the business, I don't think the business has changed our business. Uh, we supply uh, on three uh, key requirements, quality, uh, service, the quality you can't, we, we, we can't change that. It's taken 140, 150 years to develop the skills. And these skills were uh, developed by artisans. The Calder Valley where we're based it was the sort of uh, breeding ground of, of great expertise, traditions, techniques. And, and, and from, from the original days when there was no automation and, and prior to uh, anything else where... Uh, corduroy was cut, hand cut, 
uh, on a table. And there's times and techniques and, and, and technical changes uh, took over. The requirement that we've always still worked and we still work to now is quality. Um, we are the leading producer of, of, of corduroy uh, and moleskin and, and even in Italy where they, they make these products as well. We, we, we're notified and, and the, the company, Brisbane Moth, uh, excels uh, in its quality. And that's what we've always worked to. That's what we'll always work to um, with the service. Uh, and and the as I say the unique selling point that we actually are a stock business, um, but quality will always uh, emerge as the key requirement for people, and uh, it's one that we've never veered too far away from. Mm, really interesting. So that leads on to my next question: Why do clients buy from Brisbane Moss when they could buy from um, other? manufacturers in cheaper countries um, that have sort of lower overheads and potentially sort of get a, a, a cheaper product. I mean, what, what is it that clients are buying when they're buying Brisbane Moss? It goes back to quality. Mm. In the UK, we undersell ourselves. Uh, we've got some absolutely fantastic creative people. We've got some creative uh, mediums that we work through. But as time has gone by, people have always, the bar is always set by one or two companies or one or two people and, and, and time chips away at these and, and price. And, and, and over the last probably 20 years, price has become more uh, key in the world. Everyone wants anything. There's, there's absolutely drive to the bottom. And I think pre-COVID, the, the um, not only the textile industry, but the, the world in some various um, stages has driven itself uh, or, or tore itself apart. Um, I think we have to look at the whole future of the, the, you know, the, the textile industry, the whole planet, and look at uh, sort of trying to put these two back together and the constant requirement for uh, chemicals, raw materials that have, uh, you know, through discount retailing, uh, huge manufacturing, it's got to end at some stage. And, and, and I think now when people look at the wardrobes, the wardrobes are completely full. There's no requirement to buy any any more clothes. We have enough mm. T-shirts, we have enough trousers, we have enough shoes now to last the majority of people a lifetime. I, I don't think there's any requirement to buy any more clothes. Mm. So you have to look at it. You know, the only reason that people want to, to buy clothes or they should be buying clothes is the desire to look better, different or something. Mm. And, and that's where quality comes in, you know, the, the, the sort of buy and throw away market. Yes, there will always be that. It, it, it's, you know, the younger um, end of the market. They want to be seen in something different every week when they're having pictures taken mm-hmm. um, on Instagram and they can't wear the same clothes. Yeah. Uh, that market will always be there and companies like Boohoo and Pretty Little Thing have, have, have dominated that market. But mm. uh, I, I think the majority of people have enough clothes now to last them a lifetime. And if they're going to buy something, they want something special that makes them feel special, that is suitable for all occasions and, and is classic and it, it lasts 
at the test of time. You're not buying a product for two months, two years. You buy a product, you know, that can be, you know, reworked or, or tailored in or something. And a, a good product that, that we sell lasts 20, 30, 40 years. And we have people who have bought corduroy from us who still have them 40 years later. Amazing. And that, you know, the, the, the product stands the test of time. Mm, really interesting and as you say over the last few years you've seen people like or brands like uh, forever 21 and and you know go down the list of boohoo and a number of online retailers that are catering to fast fashion lower quality cheaper but it's more disposable but what you're saying is that there's still huge demand for higher quality products that last for a longer period of time and people are willing to pay a premium for that I wouldn't say huge demand. I mean, when we look at our market, we're probably selling to the top 5% of money earners. And it doesn't mean that people with an average income can't buy our products. They can do, and our products run through the whole marketplace. But some of our products end up in very high, um, high-end high garments for brands like Gucci, Laura Piana, uh, Ferragamo mm. and these brands uh, they, they sell beautiful products and, and it's the, the whole design the whole um, experience culture experience mm. that you're buying into mm. and, and I have no issue with the the, the brands like you know, Forever 21 Boohoo we just mentioned there they have developed a market which wasn't there before uh, they've created fantastic businesses especially Boohoo who I've seen develop over the, the past 10 years you've got to take your hat off to, to what they've created they've created something very different uh, and, and it's direct and it can be within you know within 24 hours of, of someone purchasing the wearing the garment um but that that's a that's a certain market you know our market is is at the other extreme end uh where people have maybe saved money or people have a desire a lot of our customers have a desire uh, for, or a passion for fashion. Excuse <laughs> the pun there, and they 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 want to they want to look special. They want to look different. Uh, they want to wear the latest look, the latest colours, uh, and because the way things work, the sort of high end brands can offer those, and they want they're buying into a lifestyle. Mm. Um, I have I have no issue with that, you know, and they are the sort of um, meat and veg of our customers and uh, mm. without them we wouldn't be any uh, as we are now so what are the biggest growth areas for brisbane moss i mean you talked about you know the high-end fashion retailers you talked about uh, furniture as well but are there any other growth areas that you're really excited about that that you know is seeing a lot of opportunity at the moment well what one thing that we, we have seen and, and, and again over the past you know, the, the last sort of 12, 14 months have just been a life-changing experience for many people, um, sadly for better and, uh, and mostly for worse. The, 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 the amount of redundancies or um, businesses that will close or have, have closed, I don't think the full extent will hit until the furlough schemes are finished. Mm. But we can already see that there are um, young designers, young people who've come out of either college and, and worked for some of the larger store groups or larger design companies. And 
um, maybe the, these companies have, uh, are making redundancies or people have seen a lifestyle that they're not happy with. If you're living in London and you're on a train or a, you know the underground for one and a half hours before you get into work, mm. and then you, you have a very mundane job and, and a lot of the designers don't actually, um, they're not allowed to be creative in their own, and express their own creative talents. They're actually you know targeted at certain areas and they have to work within certain parameters and maybe those now with with the change of lifestyle and and, and how covid has affected the, the shutdown and not not being able to meet friends and, and different people it's given people a, a different perspective and i think what we've seen over the last sort of 12 uh, 15 months even prior to covid is that the emergence of small little brands where they can they can start from their own bedroom. Um, mm. they, they, they can use their own creative talent. They can put a range of clothes together uh, from businesses like ours who, who, who stock fabric. And that's one of the key things going back mm. to our business. We actually stock millions of pounds worth of fabric in our warehouse. Uh, we have hundreds of thousands, several hundred thousand meters of fabric and people can buy from one meter to 2000 meters. Uh, and, and have it shipped within 24, 48 hours from our factory. And is is that quite unique in the industry? Sorry to interrupt you, but is that quite... Yeah, that, that, that again, I would say of, of the three key criteria to our business, there's a quality service, and we have this USP of, of, of a stock service um, business, and, and we are the largest stock service business of Cordroy and Moleskin in the world there's no other company like us amazing um, and and is that mainly for accessibility reasons you know if, if a client has a, a tight turnaround and wants to get product now they can come to you and get access to they, that that's what they do that is our usp hmm. in our industry the, the the minimum requirement of fabric you can buy is 500 meters of one color now uh, the the average person setting off a business can't facilitate that they have no they have no background they have no customers sure. so they can come to a company like us they can buy two meters of multiple fabrics they can make a you know a range of chinos a range of jackets and and, and using you know digitization they, uh, they can be selling worldwide within sort of 24 hours they can get a reaction they can come back to us and they can buy maybe you know, 10 meters, they can buy a roll. And, and we've seen some fantastic businesses over the, the past few years who've grown dramatically mm. at the higher end of the market, um, you know, because, because of the, the facilities we've offered them. Um, it's, you know, it's a business, so they're paying for it, but they have the option to dive into our business, to pull back, to then return. And, and, and they know, and because the way we operate our business, as I say, we have 900 options. These 900 options do not change. We say we sell the same colors, we sell the same fabrics year in, year out. We have done for decades, we have done for multiple decades. And, and again, someone can buy from us 20 years ago and they could buy the same fabric and the same color and hopefully the color and the fabric would exactly match the original product. In fact, the probably original product would have changed. But uh, yeah, we have standards that we set ourselves for color matching and, and, and technology-wise. Uh, and that creates the opportunity for people to return to our business and, and be flexible in their own business. And, and I think mm. that's 
why people have uh, entrusted us with you know their products uh, and going back to this uh, the growth area uh, i think that will grow and grow and grow i think the opportunity for young designers young entrepreneurs to um, dip into this market see if they can um, be, be obviously uh, be flexible and uh, say the, the, the availability of web websites now and how they get uh, Instagram, they can promote a business sure. to, to grow from their bedrooms, from their bedrooms <laughs> and be, be just as competitive and probably just as uh, um, face fronting as, as someone of the higher end, let's say Gucci or someone like that. Yeah. Really interesting. So, so you're serving both ends of the market. You're serving the established high-end retailers, Gucci, Prada, and, and those guys, but you're also serving the younger entrepreneurial sort of startups who are more creative, have lower overheads because they're operating from their bedrooms, but they want to do something. They want to start a business on the side and then see sort of where that goes. So you give them the flexibility to be able to to create products or sort of one-offs. Yeah, that- yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, our customers, anywhere from Gucci, Laura, as they mentioned, Laura Piana, Ralph Lauren, uh, in, in the UK, Cordings of Piccadilly, uh, France, uh, Hermes. Um, but there are multiple young up and coming brands who are um, coming on stream daily. Uh, and, and this will grow. And, and, and mm. what I said before about people, people want uniqueness they don't always want to wear the same color the same um they want to delve into fashion but they don't want to sort of be on the high street which i was involved with for 20 years it it was the same thing the same Mm. color the same look and whoever could just drive the price down to get the maximum business but Mm. you can't and we've seen this happen now with businesses even from my day when I first started companies like British Home Stores, other even Debenhams now, and, and companies that are still surviving that will have to change their business model. Um, even Marks and Spencers now are selling other companies or other brands product because they can't get their their fashion business right. They had in the 90s and the, the early, early thousands, they they were huge businesses and, and they sold some food. Uh, but now Marks and Spencer sell more food than they do clothing. And, and that's testament to their sort of inability to change and and change their model. And, and now they're, they're actually selling other brands um, because the brands are doing it so much better than Marks and Spencer's, which is sad, but unfortunately, you know, we have to, we all have to change. We have and, to uh, change. Yeah. Mm. It is. It is. So these growth areas that you talk about, are they mainly sort of in the UK or are you seeing the same thing happening in other markets? You've got emerging markets, Southeast Asia, um, China is an untapped market. Um, We've we've actually won the Queen's Award for Export twice uh, in the last uh, few years, which was a great achievement. What is that for people that don't know? Okay, it's it's. It's an award for continued growth. The, the, the sort of parameters have changed recently, but it was continued growth over five years or six years uh, when you were exporting. So you obviously started at a base level. And then if you could show that you've exported 
uh, your exports have grown um, increasingly over a five six year period you you were uh, you could be entitled to uh, you had to apply and uh, you have to be vetted and there's multiple uh, documents that you have to um, work through but it's just a recognition of of, of export achievements and um, so we, we won this twice this this all came because we had to close one of the um, UK dye works in early 2002 mm. and the gentleman uh, in charge uh, of the company prior to myself, he took the view that stocking fabric, stocking as in uh, stocking and supplies, um, <laughs> in, in a warehouse was the way forward. And, uh, and it was a decision that proved economically viable um, mm. because a great amount of capital really had to be um, invested. Uh, as I say, we have about three million pounds worth of fabric on the floor Amazing. Uh, so it's you have to uh, invest a certain amount of large proportion of money um, up front, and there's no guarantee that anything is going to come from that. So yeah, the the markets now, um, Southeast Asia, China, these are all emerging markets. The, mm. the Japanese, the American, the European market. Um, have all grown but I, I still see within our business with Brexit a great demand in the UK I think because of the duties and um, constraints that we've had put on us through Brexit the UK market I think uh, there's great opportunities for businesses to grow manufacturing and I know manufacturing of clothing is coming back there's people I speak to who two or three years ago probably had an order book for two, three months. Uh, we speak to people now who've got an order book for 18 months booked up already. Wow. And that's through, that's with British brands, British companies who've all returning to the UK because of the issues with Brexit that people want to make in the UK. They want the flexibility that they can, they can buy. They don't have any problems. The shipping mm. problems that we're seeing now in the Suez sure. are, are just things that are all barriers to trade. And again, we're in a business which is a fashion business where people have to react quickly. And, and, and we also have to be sustainable. I understand that. And, and you know, the, the requirement to make closer to, to home is, is going to grow. It's, um, mm. it, it's it, in the next three or four years, Europe and the UK will grow dramatically and uh, it, it will be a bigger source of fabric, of manufacturing and products and it will be returned to what we probably saw in the 90s. Mm, really fascinating, John. I've, I've really enjoyed this. Thank you. Last couple of questions before we um, end the interview. Talk about your own digitization as a, as a business. You know, how are you using modern tools, social media, etc., to market, grow, find new customers? Okay. Um, so we, we've, uh, our business, uh, we've always traveled. So with the Queen's Award, you physically have to go and, and, and meet face-to-face with different countries, different people. And uh, time is a great constraint. And uh, we show it, European shows, so we get to meet clients two or three times a year at different shows worldwide. But uh, this is all a, a time-consuming process. And I know there's a question coming up but, uh, about, about inventions. And uh, the, 
the opportunity to map out and, and, and show your products and digitize it and get them spread around the world within 24 hours is just an incredible um, achievement. And, and, and through that, we, we were able to develop our range, photograph it, um, digitize it uh, and go, um, uh, go online, which has helped our business um, grow dramatically. Since then, we've we've seen the likes of Instagram. We, we we're just actually in the process now of, of working with a great company uh, called Redfern, um, who are working with us on on the next levels of that we're we're going to. But we've uh, created a new website uh, and, and, and teamed it up with Instagram, where overnight, and I've seen this in the last couple of years, the response and the worldwide reach of of of, of these tools just changes a business dramatically and again mm. you know you can be we're not a small business we're not a huge business but um it, it, it can take any 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 medium around the world within 24 hours people can mm. speak you can be dealing with australia overnight you you can reach everywhere in the world and um it is, especially now with with COVID and the requirements of of travel, the the, the lack of travel. Um, it's the only way. I, I'm 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 seeing uh, fashion shows now, which are, are digitized, where people are, show the ranges online. We have um, multiple thousand people uh, viewing um, these shows on a daily basis mm. and, and they can they can reach in they can look at fabrics they can't touch and fabric is a um, i have to say it's a it's a it's a feely touchy business that you mm. need to, to to touch the the product and the quality and feel the quality especially mm. of the higher end products you need that and uh, but we can back that up with uh, again, we can we send swatches out and uh, swatch cards all around the world again uh, that can be reached within sort of two or three days and, and people then can see the product but to actually get contact with the customer um, there is no better way than um, Instagram or, or your own website and mm. that has been a great um, a growth market for us the, the way that we, we see business worldwide reaching out to we're reaching out to them and they, they're coming back and uh, yeah it's fantastic mm. Well said, and, and thanks for the plug for Redfern. Appreciate that. Um, <laughs> last last question uh, before we end the show. Uh, we always end the show by asking our guests the same question. So tell us the one invention that, if never manufactured, would make your life unbearable. Uh, it's a, this is a very difficult question. <laughs> Do you want this personally or in a, a workplace environment? Uh, both. Okay. If you've got two. Well, I'll go for a workplace environment one first. Again, World Wide Web, computers, uh, the whole technology um, aspect. Sure. Uh, you know, the, the, in my lifetime, um, the, the, the sort of the growth of technology within my lifetime from the age of 20 to where I am now in the mid-50s has been phenomenal. Game changer. It has been a game changer. But one thing I would say, um, and, and back in the 80s when I started, um, when computers actually started, uh, Apple, uh, Apple Mac, I was hmm. fascinated by what well, it was called Macintosh then. And hmm. 
Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, as they were then, worked from their own garage and created a company which was called Macintosh. It was then, um, it changed its name to Apple. Uh, I would say the iPod uh, mm. would be the greatest uh, invention for me. Um, okay. Is that because maybe, you love your music? I, well, I was going to say, I love my music. Now, that sort of doesn't relate to um, a, a work-based um, <laughs> uh, 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 invention. But, uh, right. yeah, I, I think for me, the ability to take music anywhere, um, you know, and, and play all different types of music. It, it, and music is one of my greatest passions, and uh, it's the, the soundtrack of uh, my life, music. So, um, yeah. So I would say the the iPod. Uh, That's a really good one. And by the way, just just on that, I mean, f- for me, when we move from CDs and Disman, where basically you could have twenty songs maximum on your CD, to the iPad where you could have a thousand songs. Thousands. That was amazing to me. That was just unthinkable so you're totally right and i think we're both recording this podcast on our macs now so yeah Apple, are, yeah. <laughs> if yeah. you're listening thank uh, you uh, and it was a, yeah yes yeah. actually more mr wozniak than uh, mr jobs mr. Okay. Jobs was a great marketer uh, marketeer yeah. but uh, i think steve wozniak was the brain but i, I yeah. touching on that i remember going running um when i was a uh, you know late teens 20s and i had uh, my uh, cassette um with with earphones and it was yeah. almost huge and then you, you had a some sort of like you say cd you're running yeah. with and um, yeah. and then all of a sudden one day you're running or you're cycling and you've got this slim piece of kit which had thousands on thousands of songs and it was it was revolutionary and uh, it was it, just magical um so I would say the iPod is, um, has been, Good. for me, one Good of the greatest answer. achievements, yeah. <laughs> Great answer. Love it. Um, well, that just leads me to say thank you very much to our guest, John Wright. Thank you, Nathan. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for uh, letting me speak. Thank you and subscribe to our podcast in all the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of Remake Manufacturing. I'm your host, Nathan Anibaba. See you next time.